Welcome to Evangelistic Center Church. I, I titled my message today, I want to get in it. I titled my sermon today, The Fantastic Life. Uh, and by fantastic, I mean great or gargantuan or huge. Um, not like it's a great lie, but it is huge. It's a larger than life lie, the fantastic lie. And, and here's why I chose that. And I chose this because uh, our world, when I talk about the world, sometimes that can be very vague. But when I talk about the world, I mean the world systems and the world governments and the world's culture and media. Uh, and really, I mean anything that is not church. Uh, any part of the secular world that does not have to do with the church, that's what I mean by the world. And the world is a very powerful influence. And I know you've all said that because we live in the world, right? But the world has a very powerful influence in our lives. Every single day we're affected in some way by the world. And that influence, that worldly influence, is, um, it, it, is, it comes to us by their exercising the power that they have to give us this idea that it is society and culture uh, and news alone that know what's best for you and for me. You know, you can, uh, whichever news outlet you choose to watch, whether it's anything from MSNBC, CNN to Fox News or their local news channels, everybody's got an idea of what uh, would make you happy and what will protect you. And they sell this idea, and it is my, my concerted opinion that they sell this idea that unless, unless you conform to their standards, then you need to just get out of the way. That's the way that I perceive it. Uh, you aren't really welcome here unless you conform to everything that we're saying. But for the Christian, uh, I believe that you and I submit to a higher authority, and we can be sure that our Lord, because he says so in the book of John chapter 16, but I know that our Lord has already defeated the world and its system of government, and our Lord has provided for us the avenue by which we find real joy and real peace and real contentment and victory. That's where it comes from. So, I want to talk to you about the fantastic lie, and this is what I want to begin, and I was really kind of looking forward to asking you all this question. This is going to be really weird that, that I did probably in the moment, but how many of you are old enough, and this will eliminate my children, I believe, mostly. How many of you are old enough to remember when uh, cigarette companies used to aggressively market their products? Did any of y'all remember that? Okay, how about this one? One of the most famous ones of all was the Marlboro Man. Now, did anybody remember the Marlboro Man? I mean, the Marlboro Man was like the epitome of cool. I mean, he was sort of John Wayne-ish kind of cool. Uh, he, he had a cowboy hat, and all you'd see his horse, and there'd be a lariat on the horse, and, and he was always smoking a Marlboro. And when you, you heard about the Marlboro Man, it, by the way, it's hard to say Marlboro a whole bunch of times in a row. When you think about the Marlboro Man, uh, it, uh, the implication was kind of like this. Well, if you want to be a tough guy too, then you need to smoke Marlboros. And now I'm not going to ask how many of you smoke Marlboros. I don't know if you'd want to tell me, but uh, they, they made a deal out of these Marlboro cigarettes. Uh, I did find, and this may kind of surprise you, but that campaign read, ran from 1954, and this has surprised me, to 1999. Uh, I did not realize as late as 99, the Marlboro man was still, was still famous. Um, I remember uh, a lot of successful ad campaigns. How many of you can remember the McDonald's jingle for the Big Mac without looking it up? Well, it starts with two all-beef patties, and then what happens after that? I think you got it right. I'm not sure. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Isn't that how that went? Did I get that right? Who che Did you cheat and look it up? 
Oh. Oh, that was McDonald's ad. Well, I, now, this one, none of the kids are going to get this one right. But if I ask you what was the go-to phrase or the main ad phrase for Maxwell House Coffee, what would you say? Oh, man, you all did so good. It's good to the last drop. I actually thought it was Folgers until I looked it up and found out it was Maxwell House. I don't remember what Folgers was, but Maxwell House was good to the last drop. But, and I expect you all, this is audience participation. I'm going to get to something more spiritual here in a minute. Uh, but I want to do a little audience participation. This is the most famous, depending on who you ask, the most famous ad campaign jingle in American history. B.C. Clark does not count because that's regional. Ha-ha. Uh, that's regional. This was more global. And, it, and so I'm going to ask if you can just remember without me telling you what it is. But it was, a, it was the jingle to sell Coca-Cola. Somebody let me hear you say it. Well, it started with, I'd like to teach the world to sing. I'd like to teach the world to sing. Big. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. Awesome. <laughs> I would guarantee that that was a successful ad campaign because everybody knows the song. Uh, I did find out in researching that also that when that ad first ran, this is the truth. People were calling radio station asking them to play that on the radio because they liked the song so much. That is true. You can look it up. You can test me. Uh, everybody knew the Coke song. So you, you see how successful ad campaigns work? I mean, they convince you of things. I thought of a bunch of others, but I don't want to bore you with a whole bunch more of those. But uh, these ad campaigns, they all have a common purpose and they share common traits. And the common purpose is they want to influence you to buy the product, right? I mean, that's pretty clear. Why would you advertise something if you weren't trying to get people to buy it? Well, that's pretty clear. And it really didn't matter if the product was good for you or not. That, that's not a concern. Um, it's not even a matter if you need the product at all. You ever been walking through Walmart and they've, somebody has sneakily put something on the end cap as you walk by? You didn't need it when you come in, but you can't leave without it. For Rusty, it's anything that has chocolate and sugar in it. If she walks by the end cap and there's some, if something fudge dipped, it makes its way home. Uh, I do that same thing like with beef jerky. If you put it on the end and I'm checking out, I buy it. That's what I do. But, you know, the point of this is so that uh, the public buys in the product. And so all of these that I've mentioned to you, and I, I'm done being silly, but all of those were very successful in convincing the public to buy what they were selling, right? I'm, I'm doing this, and this is the product, and I want you to buy it. Well, you and I are still today, even though uh, I don't know if there's as many ad campaigns that are uh, super recognizable. I can think of a few. I don't want to get off in that. But you and I are subject to uh, countless advertisements on TV, radio, even in our social media accounts. And I don't know if you guys believe this or not, but uh, this is my tinfoil hat for today. This is where I put the hat on. I'm convinced that my cell phone listens to me and then gives me ads about what I talk about. I'm convinced of it. They say that it doesn't but I could talk about a three-cylinder diesel submarine, which does not exist, and somehow that would pop up on my phone. I'm not sure how, but it does. So uh, the world sells to us all the time, but I think here's the greatest sales pitch, and the greatest sales pitch really that you and I uh, deal with today, it comes from pop culture, and it comes from news, and it comes from the public, and, and it's this idea that there's somebody that's always trying to convince me that I need to act. Or, or be or speak in a certain way, and that I need to accept some sort of 
of the world's ideas and ideologies and their plans. If I want the world to be a better place, then I need to act like the world, right? I mean, that's all that we see is, is here's what the problem is, and if you, if you think this way and you don't think this way, then you're the problem. And they convince us. They convince us that this is true because they sell us on their idea of happiness. You know, the world's really good about saying, hey, no, if you do this, you'll be happy, and they make it look good. You know, even going back to, to my, silly, my silly analogies, I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a health nut by any means, but I am smart enough to know that you shouldn't eat Big Macs three times a day, right? Uh, I actually don't even know if you should eat them three times a year, but I probably eat two a year. See, I'm right under that threshold. But they teach us that the world sells to us that wherever and however we can find pleasure is okay. You know, we're told that, we're told this, waiting until you're married to have sex is antiquated and it doesn't make any sense, right? Do you hear that? I mean, we're told that you and I are supposed to look out for number one and then um, we hear that if pregnancy is inconvenient, then abortion is your right if it's inconvenient. I mean, as long as it's inconvenient, then it's okay to do. And we hear things like church isn't essential and God isn't real and we're told to believe whatever you want to believe because truth is relative and there are no absolutes. The world has done this marvelous job of convincing us that they are the sole arbiters of truth and that anyone or anything else that disagrees with what they are selling, then you must be canceled. They talk about a cancel culture, and we see it all the time. They're selling this product of self-truth and self-love and neo-Marxism. They sell all these ideas that they say is going to cure what ails the nation but it's their plan. That's their advertising. And I want to take you back just a little bit, and I hope you'll, hope you'll stick with me closely because I may be going somewhere different than you think I'm going. But I'm going to go back to a time in history. We're going to go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you want to turn there, I'm not going to read quite yet, but we're going to 1 Samuel 8. But I want to take you back to a time in history when the nation of Israel fell for the sales pitch. A time when uh, they thought that they knew what they wanted to be, and they bought into the lies of the neighboring nations. Uh, the book of 1 Samuel, it is really concerned with three important biblical figures. You read about uh, Samuel, you read about Saul, and you read about David. And the purpose of Samuel is, is definitely so that we can recall Israel's history, because it's, uh, it's a blessing for the church to know Israel's history. But I think it also serves for this. It serves to show that God is sovereign. It serves to show us that God is sovereign. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see a really interesting turn in Israel's history. Samuel was recognized as the judge of Israel, so it was his job as judge to govern the affairs of the nation of Israel. But Samuel had started getting old. Um, you may not know this, but my first name is Samuel, and I do understand what it's like to start getting old. Uh, one thing I've noticed is my children boss me around. That's how I know that I'm getting old. Well, this is happening to Samuel. Samuel's getting older, and so Samuel appoints his two sons, and their name was Joel and Abijah. That's A-B-I-J-A-H. And he had appointed them to replace him as judges over the nation of Israel. But there was a problem with that. Samuel's sons did not walk in the Lord's ways. Samuel's sons were evil. And so because they don't walk in the Lord's ways, the people were really concerned about their ability to lead. So up to this point, Israel's still on the money, right? They recognized that an ungodly leadership was not good for them. 
And, and it makes sense to me that you would want competent leadership that would, uh, that would encourage and lead Israel to follow God, but that's not what happened. So uh, Samuel's getting old. He appoints his sons. His sons are ungodly, and the people become restless. And I want to take that story up in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and look with me at verse 4, and I'm going to read verse 4 through 9. I want you to just follow this with me this morning. 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Look, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. And when they said, Give a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They're doing the same thing to you that they've done to me since the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Now, there's a lot going on here, so I want to kind of break it down just a little bit. But you can see uh, their demand for a king was going to be trouble from the very start. If you look back at verse 5, read this again. It says, appoint us a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. Now that's interesting because Israel's desire for a king came because of what the world was telling them was right. See, they're able to look at these other nations, and they observed the nations, and these nations had been led by kings, so Israel said, we want to be like them. And they repeated in verses 19 and 20. Now listen to how it goes now. He says, the people refused to listen to Samuel. They said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations, and our king will judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So what's the big deal? So my question to you today would be, what's the big deal that Israel wanted a king to rule over them? What's well, a big deal? Firstly, because God had a better plan for them. God wanted something more for them than for them to be like everybody else. God is the one that delivered, Egypt, delivered Israel from Egypt. God is the one that fought their battles and pr prospered them. God's plan was that, that he alone, you can underline that, that he alone would be their king. And that if the nation would trust in him, the nation would be prosperous, the nation would enjoy their inheritance in the promised land, they would have what God wanted for them. Now, how many of you would be excited if you had all that God wanted for you? I mean, doesn't that sound better to have what God wanted for me rather than what the world wants for me? It makes sense to me too. So then they bring this idea in that they need a king, and they did it because the surrounding nations were there, and so Israel fell for a lie. And here was the lie. God had a plan for them that was better than what any earthly king could do for them. I mean, it made sense when they would observe because they, they perceived that these nations were successful and where they went wrong was they had neglected to recall that God is the one who had delivered them from Egypt. God is the one that had prospered and brought them out and, and gave them a land to inherit. It was God, and yet they become blinded because of what the world began to tell them was true. So Israel... They assume wrongly that they would be better off with an earthly king than they would be by just trusting in God. Now, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but how many of us have fallen into the trap of thinking that, well, if I do it my way, it'll be better than if I do it God's way? And even if you don't, even if you don't recognize it in the moment, I'm certain at some point you look back and said, yeah, I messed that up. 
You look at the, look again at the end of the passage. It says in verse nine, "This is Jesus speak, uh, God speaking." He says, "Listen to them, but warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them." Now, now there's something very interesting about this, and this is what I think God was telling them. He says, "Warn them about the rights of the king." Now, listen to what God was saying. He said he was saying this: "This king will demand taxes on your flocks and taxes on your crops." And then in verse 17, the Bible says that the king can take a tenth of your flocks and then you can become his servants. So what God was saying is this king that you so desperately want, this king is going to become your taskmaster. Now see, I I think what an interesting parallel because how many times when we are swayed by popular opinion or by the world's ideas and motives, and, and I know certainly everybody in here, if you're over the age of uh, you know, 12 or 13, we've all at some point succumbed to peer pressure. Anybody done that? You ever did something stupid, but you did it because somebody told you to? Or somebody told you that you're not cool if you don't do it? I mean, I can remember a very specific time. There was an old oil derrick out. Uh, we live uh, north of I-40 out at the Earlsboro exit. And there used to be an oil derrick that was in service. I want to say it was in service in the 30s or 40s, an old steel oil derrick. And it was, I think, 11 stories tall. And it had been out of service probably 30 or 40 years at the time. I was down there with my friend, and my friend decided it was a good idea to climb it. Well, it was, I think it was 110 steps that were 10 feet apart, and the ladder was about this wide. I'm not exaggerating. It was about a foot wide, and it was all rust, and there was no cage. And so he started climbing. Well, I couldn't, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to say the sissy word. I couldn't be a sissy and not climb. And don't look at me like that. The ladies, you don't understand, but the men know what that is. Your friend's climbing, you're climbing, right? You climb. I got up about 70 feet, hanging onto that little bitty ladder, looked down, and I thought, what in the world have I done? I made it to the top. We hung out at the top, and it was cool being at the top, but coming down was not pleasant, and I'm pretty sure that day I learned how to pray. Didn't tell my parents about that either for a long time. But he says, listen, the, the king, it's gonna, he's going to demand the rights. He's going to demand things for you. And how many of you have seen that? That when we fall into the world's traps and the world's ideas that uh, it takes us places we don't want to go and it costs us things we don't, we're not willing to pay. You've seen that? And, and we should not ever be surprised by that because the world isn't concerned about your soul. The world isn't really concerned about your happiness the world is concerned about themselves and about the money they can make off of you. That's what happens. I mean, I don't want to get, I don't want to harp on like certain vices. That's not what this message is about today. But you can see it in so many different things that the world, uh, the world systems. We see that when we buy into it, the destruction that that falls in the wake of it. And that's what Israel wanted. And and God tells them, make sure they know that if they get this king they wanted, he will become your taskmaster. Now, if you wonder how that worked out, how many of you have read enough of the Old Testament that you see that every time you turn a page in, uh, you know, in Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, as you're going through there, how many of you notice that every time there's a new king that comes along, it says this in the Scripture, and king so-and-so was, did evil the same as his father did. And then it'll say, oh, and then king so-and-so, he was a whole lot more, he was, I'm going to use the oaky word, eviler than his father. Y'all seen that? See, the nation got what they wanted. They wanted a king, and they got a king. 
And, and so when I read these stories, it, it surprises me at all the ways that, that Israel found to reject God in spite of his faithful to them as a nation. But I find myself equally surprised that people today still fall for the lies of the world. It surprises me that people will buy into what the world sells because we think that a book written 2,000 years ago could not possibly have anything relevant for me today. See, our society has championed this successful campaign that promises to fix what ails you, and we fall for it time and time again. I wrote this because this is how I think about it. I don't know. The world looks pretty good. I mean, listen, to, I'm just going to tell you some of the things we see. They tell you, well, dress this way, speak this way, look out for number one, have fun, have fun. you only live once. If you need God, fine, but God's not for everyone. Those Christians, they're just trying to take all of your fun and so on and so on. How many of you heard that? Well, you know, I don't, I don't need Christian because all they do is talk about do's and don'ts, and they just want to steal your fun. But look over here what we can do. Sex, joy, peace, love, happiness, money, that's what you're looking for. And, and maybe you're saying, well, no, I don't think I've ever fallen for that, but I can promise you that we have bought into the world's lives. All of us have been guilty, including me. We see what they do and we think, yeah, I don't know, that looks pretty good and what could be the harm in that? But God the whole time is saying, if you choose the wrong master, you'll pay for it. I mean, even uh, when you read the story, uh, as Moses brought the people out of Egypt, uh, they get out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and, and they saw that God drowned Pharaoh's army uh, in the Red Sea and it came a point that they got so angry that, that life wasn't going the way they thought it would go that they went to Mo they went. And they tried to talk to Moses. He wasn't listening. So the people said, let's do this. Let's appoint a captain, go back where we were. I mean, the people had lost such sight of who God was and the freedom that they enjoyed in God that they were willing to go back and to be subjected again to slavery because they thought it was better than what they had. See, you fall for a lie of what the world sells. The world tells me, dress this way, speak this way. If you, if you need God, good, fine for you. But, but if you don't, don't worry about it. Christians, they're just fun suckers. They just take all your fun. And, and I want to tell you, and I want you to hear this. If you think that I'm standing up with a bunch of do's and don'ts, you're going to miss what I'm trying to preach to you today. I, I will say this. I think the church does bear some responsibility for this because the church's message has, has far too often not been the gospel. For far too long, the church just stood up and we spouted out a bunch of rules for what you're supposed to do, but then we didn't even practice what we preached. And, and, and I'm not saying it's you. I'm not saying that was me. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to call out individuals, but I can tell you I've spent 51 years in church and I have seen it with my own eyes that the church, we got so good at, at telling you what you could and could not do that we forgot to tell you who it is that you should trust in. And we forgot to tell you that your happiness and your joy and your peace and your contentment can only come through a right relationship with God. And that when you have a right relationship with God, His Holy Spirit will invade your person. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, church, I promise you that dead things can't stay dead. The Holy Spirit comes in, and when it does, it says in Romans 8, 11, that that Spirit raised Christ from the dead. And that Spirit, when you receive it, it raises you from the dead. And so, this can sound like I'm standing over and I'm telling you, okay, you can't do this and you can't do that. And I know you've all heard this, and it's super corny, but I'm going to say it anyway. My children roll their eyes. But I remember that it was always, 
Uh, I don't smoke, cuss, drink, or chew, or date the women that do. Right? I mean, that was an old school Pentecostal thing. We used to say that. But, but that's sort of, that, that kind of became the message of the church for so long. Uh, like, it was, it was browbeating, we're going to get you in a corner, and all we're going to do is tell you about what you can't do. Now, before you accuse me of preaching something I'm not preaching, let me say this. It's very apparent in Scripture there are things we're supposed to do. I'm not going to try to explain all, but it's apparent. But, but here's what I think. I think when you and I understand whom we believe in, we understand who it is that we trust, and when we grasp that trusting in Him creates a renewal in us from head to toe because the Holy Spirit has rejuvenated us, and it is in that power of the Spirit first that we call Him Father, and it is because of the power of that Spirit that those spiritual fruits begin to be manifest in our life. And because of that spirit, that's when we walk in peace and contentment and joy and happiness and, and gladness and fulfillment and security. It comes from following God, not from following the world. That's where it comes from. And, and I, I like to say it like this because uh, some of the ways that I grew up, you know, we, I've already mentioned it, but we we looked at things different. I mean, I was a really great rule keeper. Really. I mean, I was not perfect. Uh, some of the stuff I did, I would be ashamed to tell you, but mostly I was a good rule keeper. I was. I mean, I was even the kid in high school. I carried my Bible through the halls of Prague High School, and it was not always pleasant because not only was it a Bible, but I weighed about 85 pounds. It didn't work well. I would have liked to have had me today back then. I got just enough fat I could fight back. But my relationship with God was more a list of rule-keeping than it was a relationship with God. Now, don't leave here and say, Noah always preaches that what you do don't matter. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am telling you. When the world tries to convince you that doing things their way is good, then you are, and, and if you buy into it, then you are ignoring what God says about you, that you, are, that you have been redeemed, that you no longer are slaves to your past sin, but now you've been made alive so that you can serve righteousness. Does that make any sense? You can serve righteousness. And so, whatever you're looking for today, if you're looking for a relationship, if you seek joy, if you would say to me, Pastor, I'm, I, I'm, I'm depressed, COVID's got me down, if you would say, Noah, I, you know, I'm having trouble in my marriage, I'm having trouble with whatever, I can promise you that if you seek answers from the world, all you'll get are new problems. And you may not get them today, you may not get them next week, but eventually, like Israel, your king, in your case, your king being the world, will lead you astray and it will destroy you. It gets kind of quiet when we talk about being destroyed, right? But, but here's the message that the church needs to proclaim loudly. When you trust in him, he has said, I won't leave you, and I won't forsake you. And in me, you will find your fullness of joy. Didn't Jesus say something like that? I came that they would have life and have it what? Now, which sounds good to you? A more abundant life or being slave to the world? See, because what Israel had done here is Israel looked at the other nations, and they saw what they were doing. They saw some of their military victories and their prosperity, and they said, Hey, you know, we don't trust Samuel anymore, so let's go get a king like they got. And the whole time God said, I don't want you to have a king. I'm your king. I mean, you knew God was the king of Israel. 
I'm your king. And see, I think Christ would say to you today, I think, I think today he would say, Josh, I'm your king, not the world. Rusty, I'm the king, not the world. I think he would say, church, it has always been my plan that I be your king. How many of you like to stand up and worship and say, God is king, Christ is king, worship king, right? Because you understand that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm trying to encourage you today is that when the world looks pretty good, I want you to think about it this way. When the world looks pretty good, if it looks that good, the Bible's pretty clear uh, that what he has for you is more than you're even able to consider or think. Is that also scriptural? I think I'm preaching good. I'm not sure. I'll have to listen back to it. But, but I, think, I think that the world says this is all pretty good. But I think what we need to find out then is, well, if this is good, man, what's God got for me, Jay, that's good? I mean, yeah, the world looks pretty good, but sheesh. God must really have something good for me because he said, I am to be your king. See, the church, we just spent too much time talking about the do's and don'ts that we forgot, how to t we forgot to tell you how to live in grace and walk in love and to be led by the Spirit and how to have a relationship with Jesus that transformed your life. How to have a relationship that transforms your life. So let me sum up the lie to you. Here's the lie the world gives. Listen to me. I know how you can be happy. Live for yourself, and you'll find whatever you're looking for. That's the lie. You live for you. You take care of you. You look out for number one. You do whatever you want. Truth's relative anyway. You just walk in your truth, and you're going to be fine. But I want you to know today that God has something better for you. He has something better for you, and he has something different in mind for you. And it's not, and I, and I hope that what, uh, if, if the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart today, I hope you're not hearing that I'm preaching Okay, the way that you're going to have is to make sure that you get every single thing right because I got bad news for you. You're not ever going to make it. You can't do it. But here's what I think, what I am trying to convince you of is if you pull that Bible off the shelf and you blow the dust off of it and you open it to the Gospels and you begin to read about the Savior, that he came, and he came because the Bible says that God loves you. And he sent himself. Jesus came, and when he got here, he said, I want something more for you than what this world has to offer. And how he made that available to you was he said, I can withstand and I can overcome all the temptations and the sin of the world so that you can be made right with my heavenly Father, and then you can walk in that abundant life. And see, that, that I, I think when, if you've got family that aren't saved or people that you know that say they weren't Christians, here, here's why the folks that are want so much for you to know Christ, because I'm convinced that the church knows real joy. I'm convinced that when we worship and we're crying from our heart before a holy God and we're telling him how grateful we are that he loves us and and we remind him that it is by his spirit that we call him father. And, and we tell him, thank you that you have filled me with your spirit and you've empowered me to live a holy life before you. And when we say things like, thank you, God, for my wife and for my children and for my friends and my coworkers, and thank you for empowering me to be all that you would have me be. And thank you for the honor of worshiping you and coming before your, your very presence, before your very throne with boldness, because I have the Holy Spirit. That's what we need to 
That's what we need to focus on. And I can promise you, church, when you begin to trust God in that way, I can promise you it will no longer look like the church, it will no longer look like your only decision is a list of rules or the fun that the world has to offer. It'll stop looking like that. What it will begin to look like is relationship, fulfillment, joy, peace, comfort, happiness in God, or the slavery that the world wants to bring that will only lead to my destruction. Then that's how the choice will look. I'm not interested in saying I'm here trying to tell you, write you a list of things that you can and cannot do. If you ask me, there are some, but I'm convinced by this, that when people are being genuinely led by the Spirit and with all of their heart are seeking a relationship with God and desiring to be pleasing to Him, I'm convinced that all the other stuff takes care of itself. Yeah, I'm never going to be tempted by crack cocaine. And, and, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I, I won't be tempted by that. I won't. I'm not tempted to cheat on my wife. I'm not. Am I flawed? Of course. And if you want to know how, see Rusty after church. I can, have a, I can, I can be kind of selfish, and uh, I have moments that I'm not, uh, I don't speak real, real lovingly. I, I kind of sometimes have a little bit of a biting tongue, and I pray about that a lot. I get frustrated Uh, I get shopping cart rage at Walmart. I mean, it just frustrates me. I'm like, really, how can you walk so slow? I'm getting better at the road rage. The way I've gotten better at the road rage is I just close my eyes. Now I can't see it. But see, I, I I don't want you to fall for the trap that Israel fell into in 1 Samuel 8 because there's life out there. So here's the truth. The world languishes in turmoil because they've not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if the world is languishing in turmoil because they don't have the Holy Spirit, church, don't ever wish you could be more like the world. Don't ever wish it. Don't fall for the clever ad campaign. You see, you know what the Marlboro man never told you? Smoking will give you lung cancer. This is not political. I mean, I'm just telling you that what's true, right? You see what the world, what, what McDonald's is not going to tell you? That if you have a diet of Big Macs, you're going to get fat and you're going to have a heart attack. Am I lying? See, what the world won't tell you is that if you behave this way, it'll destroy your family. But do it because it feels good and it makes you happy. But see, here's what God tells you. God says, first he tells you the truth, that the wages of sin is death. That, that, that desiring a king that's not God, that that leads to death. But here's the way to abundant life and happiness and joy and peace and contentment, the fruits of the Spirit, godliness and patience and wisdom, uh, uh, self-control, the knowledge of who God is, godliness and justification. That's what God's telling you that you can have. And the church needs to make sure that you know the joy and the peace and the contentment and everything that you desire. The Bible tells us that he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything, church, that you desire, you will find when you fix your eyes on our North Star, when you fix your eyes on Christ, and you say, no matter what the world says, God, I trust in you, and I'm grateful for the sacrifice that I've received in Christ. And when you do that, I can promise you that all of the holes in your spirit, in your life, in your your mind, when you're in your quiet place, I can promise you that those will be filled by the Holy Spirit, and you'll be regenerated, walking in the new life that you could never get by believing the lies and the advertisements of the world. 
You can't have it. Second Peter 1, 3, and 4 says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share, listen to this, you may share in the divine nature. I mean, did you know that was available to you, church, that you can share in God's divine nature? And then he says, and escape the corruption that's in the world because of evil desire. So he says, you can escape the corruption. And how do you do that? Through a relationship with Jesus. And how does Jesus do it? Well, Jesus overcame the world. And how did Christ overcome the world? See, John 16, says, you're going to have junk in the world, but don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. Well, how did Christ do that? How did he overcome the world? What's the answer? He overcame the world, church, because they put him in a grave, and three days later he walked out. That's how he overcame the world. Go to Israel. We were, we were looking at videos today in Sunday school about Israel. Go to Israel. There are two tombs. They fight about which tomb was really Jesus's. I don't think anybody actually knows. But you go over there, and you go look in both tombs, and guess what? They never found any bones. Because he's alive. And he wants you to be alive. And Samuel tried to tell him. He said, listen, guys, you don't want a king. And, and then he told him, because if you get a king, he's going to tax you. He's going to take your stuff. And see, this is what I would tell you this morning. If you want the world, it will tax you and it will take your stuff. It destroys homes. destroys marriages. It destroys children. It destroys families. It destroys friendships and relationships. It destroys everything. It eats away at you as a cancer. And the whole time the world is just, just continuing to egg you on. Oh, yeah, you just keep going. It's good. Joy's just over the next hill. So what the, what the Scripture tells us is that it is in Christ that you and I have real joy. So I hope what you hear today, what, what I hope you're hearing, is that the, the joy comes only in Christ. I want to just give you two things real quick. How do we overcome the world? How do we put into practice everything that I'm telling you? I don't want to just say all this. You go to the Golden Corral, then you forget about it. I want you to, I want you to have a little bit of ammo to carry home with you. Here's, here's the first thing that I think you can do, church, today. First, find your joy in Christ. Now, I know when I say find your joy in Christ, it sounds like church speak, right? It sounds like that's what everybody says when I go to church, find your joy in Christ. But nonetheless, it's true. There are pleasures in this life that bring joy, but it only brings joy temporarily. Everybody recognizes there are things in this life that bring joy, but I can promise you it's a temporary joy. But I'm convinced that when we understand that true soul-refreshing joy comes only through our understanding of what it means to be saved, then the world will lose its allure. When we understand it, then the world will lose its allure and its influence over us. Let me read you a really marvelous two verses in 1 Peter. Finding your joy in Christ. Listen to this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Who are we talking about? Who's him? Say it loud, I can hear you. Jesus. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, how marvelous is that? You can't see Jesus, but you love him, right? And what does that do for you? Well, you have inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Isn't that a marvelous truth? I'm going to read it again. Now, think it through with me. You haven't seen him, Jesus. I'll just say Jesus' name there. 
Though you've not seen Jesus, you love Jesus. Though not seeing Jesus now, you believe in Jesus, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, what that's saying is your belief in Jesus, you are experiencing even today the salvation of your souls. Does it not say in Philippians that he who began a good, good work in you, he will, he will bring it to completion? Is that true? Come on, church, is that true? So when I get saved, when I'm born again, what I receive is the salvation of my soul. And every day, Ron, every single day as I serve the Lord, I'm becoming more and more like him. Every day. Tammy, every day when I've accepted Christ, the goal should be to know him more. And I can promise you, Austin, Whisper, Harvey, Caitlin, I can promise you, Todd, Christy, and Chris, and Brandon, and Hannah, I can promise you that as we progress in our relationship with the Lord, because we know him, and we, we love him, and we trust him, that God will begin to restore you and renew you, and then every morning, every morning, you are filled with his joy, because you know not only do you know him now, but in the days to come, that you will, you will worship with him, and serve, and live with him forever. Isn't that good news? See, I, want, I, I just want to leave you, the, uh, leave you the church, the worship team can come up today. I just wanted to leave you with that thought. The second thing I want to, as they're coming, I want to leave you with, the first was to find your joy in Christ, and here's the second one. Develop a relationship, not religion. Develop relationship, not a religion. Now listen to this. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, to me, that sounds a whole lot more like relationship and not religion, doesn't it to you? The kingdom is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, salvation results in spiritual fruit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit are what you give through your relationship with Christ, and that's what we see. See, the world's going to tell you a lie about how you can live a full and meaningful and happy life, but God alone, it is God alone, church, that has paved the way for you to experience all that God has for you. It's through him alone. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? I mean, are you hearing these promises? You may overflow with hope. God is good. When you seek him, you'll find him. I made a slide. Relationship is greater than religion. I believe that's true. Relationship is greater than religion. So the title of my sermon today, church, was The Fantastic Lie. And what's the fantastic lie? Israel wanted a king so they could be like everyone else, and ultimately they got what they wanted. And then you find out in the Old Testament that they had a wicked king one after another, and it continued. They got exactly what they wanted. They got a king. When anybody or anything exalts itself above the Lord and tells you that your peace, your happiness, and your fulfillment will be realized by what they're selling, you need to run from it because it's a lie. The only real joy and peace and contentment and healing is found in a relationship with Jesus.